Hey again, folks. I, I'm enjoying talking to a load of people about either what lockdown has meant for them or or what they think and or what they think other businesses should do to market themselves in lockdown to think about lockdown or what's going to happen when we come out of lockdown um i'm going to bring on any second now um someone who i've known for about five years someone who is actually my business partner a, a director of the networking retreat limited but in his day job chris j runs bascule disability training and I'm really thrilled to actually be talking to you this afternoon because you've been busy. So as much as we, we work on the networking retreat together, we, we haven't had a huge amount of time to chat recently. Hey, and welcome to the Networking Retreat Audio Show with advice, hints and tips on business and networking. Presented by your host, author of Business Networking for Dummies, Stefan Thomas. No, I mean, one of the things I, so I run basketball disability training. Hi, everyone. Uh, so what we do in a nutshell is we, um, we go into businesses and we train them and we talk about what it's like to have a disability, communication techniques, how to create inclusive work environments, language and etiquette and legislation. Uh, and the reason I put all of that in there, because you said I've been busy and I have because I've moved uh, all of my training online, something which I was quite resistant to do to begin with. But actually, it's proved a real boon for my business. And is that have you done it because, like everyone, we've sort of been forced to adopt online in the last year? Because like you, we, we talked about it with the networking retreat, we we wanted to move a load of stuff online, but it was it was being forced to do it a year ago, which which finally got me round to it. Has has that been the sort of ultimately the motivation for for you as well that we we can't do it face to face anymore? I was stubborn for a while, so obviously, as as you know, Steph, and as people can see, I'm a wheelchair user, and. Part of delivering training for me is to have a real person with a real disability in the room to see the chair and for that to be part of breaking down barriers. I didn't think initially that I was going to have the same impact delivering training online that I would in person. And to a certain extent, online training has a bad reputation. You know, a lot of it's tick box, a lot of it's death by PowerPoint. You know, there's an awful lot of talk around blended learning. Um, and initially, I didn't see how I was going to deliver a product that I was comfortable with. But actually, working with a product like Zoom and having the breakout rooms available to me meant that I really feel I can deliver 95% of what I would do in person online. And it's really opened up huge possibilities. So if I compare it to my original business model, which was going to a company or a company coming to me and say, hey, let's train some staff i said okay can you provide me a training space can i work in your office for a day maybe train 60 staff i do two or three 90 minute to two hour sessions um the barrier to entry for that was very high so i had to have a very good relationship with that business in order for that to work whereas now i can run open training sessions using eventbrite as a ticketing system and people can come along for 50 quid ahead and people from any business can join and get training. And what it's done is it's opened up a whole new part of the sales funnel. 
so I can invite people from big businesses to come along and effectively pilot it so that they can then roll it out on online to their own staff. And that's been hugely, hugely effective. So a, a, a couple of things then, picking up from that, and I think that the first thing, the, 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 the most important thing then is... Why is it important then? Why is it important, Chris, for, for people to understand accessibility, for people to understand why engaging with people with disabilities is is important? Well, if I, I'm just going to come forward a bit now. If I go back to why my organisation was started and the name Bascule, Bascule is a kind of bridge, okay? So 67% of the British population feel uncomfortable talking to people with disabilities. Bascule is a kind of drawbridge. My job is to bring the bridge down. I don't always think there's a huge amount of prejudice around disability per se. What I do think there is is a huge amount of ignorance, misunderstanding, and things like that that cause these problems to happen in businesses. No business has a policy that says we shall discriminate against disabled people. We hate them. All of the policies say the right things, but actually it's in the human interactions with people where things go pear-shaped. People say the wrong things. People make the wrong jokes. Or people are really awkward and you can see that, you know, they're so stressed about the idea of interacting with someone with a disability. But that's where things go wrong. Although it is bascule disability training, it's really about a cultural piece. It's about changing awareness of what people with disabilities to, can do and make people more comfortable with it. And there are something like um, 13 million people with disabilities in, in the UK. Only 10% of those are wheelchair users. And I think this is really important. So um, I know we've talked a fair bit about your own hidden disability. Yeah. But equally, if we consider something like a hearing impairment, someone with long hair could very easily hide their hearing aids with it. So in reality, there's not just things like mental health, which of course are big issues. There's also uh, those with neurodiverse conditions like dyslexia or perhaps higher functioning autism. There's huge numbers of people in the workplaces with disabilities that you can't see. In some ways, I'm lucky because mine is obvious. But it, I think it's really important that we recognise the number of people with disabilities out there that we can't see. And that 13 million figure doubles to 26 million if you then include people with long-term health conditions. And I think in an age of COVID and shielding, I think that's really important. We're talking huge number of people, not just as employees, but as customers, that makes a big difference. The value of disabled people and their families is 250 billion pounds a year. And 1.3 billion pounds a month is lost because businesses aren't accessible in some way. You don't need all the soft arguments. You know, it doesn't all have to be about, you know, love thy fellow man, and I wish it was. But actually there are really solid business reasons for engaging properly in this space. Because and, and, and this has always been really important to me about our relationship because mm. I'm talking to you because you're a business person who I met mm. at a networking event. I'm not talking to you because you're a, a wheelchair user. So our first interaction mm. was 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 around business. And I think mm. people people sometimes put the wheelchair first. I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me it's not just sometimes. People sometimes put the wheelchair first, the disability first, 
without considering the human being who's behind that and and from a crassly commercial point of view without also considering that those human beings also have a a, a ridiculous spending power which you've just talked about people look at the wheelchair or look at the disability and sort of forget about everything that's that's, that's there as well we have a huge desire to label yeah we we have to label everything um, and one of the one of the reasons why I prefer the term wheelchair user, because you then say Chris, name first, is a wheelchair user. You know, we don't say wheelchair Chris. We've got this huge desire to label everything and everyone. And in training, there's this fantastic cartoon that I use. It involves a gentleman who's standing up talking to another gentleman in a wheelchair. And the gentleman standing up says, what do you prefer to be called? Um, physically challenged, gravity impaired, or something else. I can't remember what the something else is. But ultimately, the guy in the wheelchair says, what I prefer is my name, which is Joe. And underneath, there's a caption that says, the best label to give someone is normally the one their parents gave them, i.e. their name. And we... We, we, we tend to do that and ignore, as, as we talked about from a commercial point of view, ignore the fact that people run businesses, that people go to, to, to restaurants, and you and I then tend to go to, um, particularly if I, I come down to see you at home in Southampton, we tend to go to a restaurant that you know is 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 welcoming and you're going to be comfortable. So so we're spending our money there by choice and it's a, a, a really good place to, to, to meet regardless of all of that. Whereas I'm sure there are some places that haven't made you welcome in the past and some businesses that just don't see the value in in not just ticking the box and not just having an accessible toilet, but actively, mm. actively welcoming everyone. Yeah, and for some businesses, it's, it's very difficult. You know, so London is is a good example of where things can be difficult. You've got a lot of listed buildings. Yeah. You've, um, for example, putting in a ramp will often require you going onto the pavement, yeah. which, of course, often legally you're not allowed to do. But we can still do an awful lot better. I mean, I was once told by an architect a few years ago in a very smug manner that he was still paid good money to find ways around part M of the building regulations, which are the bits that say you have to make new buildings accessible. So we've got to get over this, this thing about just put up the cheapest building. Because in the long term, it will offer you the most benefits if buildings are accessible to everybody. Classic example, a building with steps. Not only does it exclude those with physical disabilities, what about parents and pushchairs? Yeah. Another segment of the population that you put off. If you're a mother with a pushchair and you've got a choice of two shops, let's say you've got um, a fast food restaurant and you've got a traditional sandwich bar of one kind or another, one's got a one's got a ramp and one's got stairs, chances are, irrespective of which food you really wanted, you're going to go for the one with the ramp. And it's that that's why I see it, it as important, which which sort of leads to to the next question then I guess. The mm, mm. you I I've seen the opportunity in running my courses online because it, it meant that yesterday I could run a course with people in various parts of the UK and mm. I didn't have to travel. This 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 huge move towards 
virtual and hybrid events, which which we've we've talked about already, that's going to have a, a whole load of implications. Has that has that made everyone's life easier now that we can do everything that from home now that you don't have to to travel to conferences and and um, travel to to um, address your training and so on? Has that has that made everyone's life easier? I think you have to separate that out into multiple categories. Firstly, if I talk about me as someone primarily with a physical disability, absolutely it has made my life easier because not only has it, as I said, it opened up the sales funnel so I can invite people on and I can run open sessions from people from a variety of different business sizes. That's great. Networking now doesn't matter what kind of building it's in. Um, and, you know, there have been some quite well-known networking organizations where I've rocked up to a venue and found that I can't get in, which is yeah. A, embarrassing, and B, irritating. Um, it allows me to interact with everyone. And then the most important bit is actually not the networking event itself for me. It's the follow-up. The fact that I can easily book a one-hour follow-up with them, a virtual coffee, as I call it without the need to try and meet them in person. So I'm generating more business, not actually by the networking itself, but by being able to do more effective follow-ups. And as you know yourself, the networking itself isn't hugely valuable. It's how you follow up what you do. There's no point meeting someone once and never talking to them again. I mean, your thing's always been, been big things from little conversations, but you have to have conversations plural in order for that to occur. So for me personally, it's been fantastic. I am very conscious, however, that for people with a variety of different disabilities, particularly those with uh, sensory impairments, such as those uh, who are hearing impaired or visually impaired, this has not been the kind of panacea that it's been made out to be. So for example, um, Zoom chat. And I work with a guy with a visual impairment. He attends a networking event. He's asked the organizers, and they have happily agreed that they will turn off the chat during uh, people's pitches and when people are talking. So there is a set period during the event when people can post their stuff, but actually the rest of the time the chat is turned off. Why? Because his text-to-speech engine is reading out the chat simultaneously when people are talking which means he can't actually hear anything. And for those with hearing impairments, unless someone did a very well-lit room, then they don't have the chance to read lips. And we do have this big problem. And my concern has been, oh, we're going to come out of this. Oh, disabled people work from home, don't they? Not because it's better for them, but because it's easier on the business, that they don't have to adapt the building and everything and I've got news for those people. All of those requirements that apply to the workplace also apply to home. So if you are going to have someone working from home and, you know, this we originally thought this was going to be for a couple of months and then we'd all go back to normal. Things like ergonomic chairs, display screen adjustment and all of that still apply on, on employees who are working at home. Businesses still have that legal duty. And what we're seeing now is a huge amount of um, people with back problems, RSI, because, of course, they're sat at home, hunched over a laptop on the sofa because perhaps their children uh, are using the desk uh, for their schoolwork. Home working only works 
if you live with people who are happy, for example, for you to close off the living room, Steph, because I know you're probably in the in the living room right now. It's exactly where um, and for someone like me who lives alone, I've got my office and I actually use my hallway normally for um, for Zoom training. So it's not a panacea if you don't have the space and the equipment or if you've got certain needs. So I think blended is going to be a really interesting approach. You and I were talking about this off air, weren't we? We, we, we were. And, and it's not just events. Um, we've talked about blended and hybrid networking events and conferences where there will be the live event, but that will also be streamed. People will be able to, to join in by Zoom. I think there'll be a lot of that. Whilst you're talking, one of the things that I'm, I've been thinking about is the fact that a number of big businesses, and I know you work with, with some pretty big organisations, a number of big businesses mm. have now started, started talking about hybrid working, that now we've had a year of seeing how this works, they will move to a situation where people work much more of the time from home than they've ever done so in the past. So mm. as, as you've said, for some people that will be a benefit, but it, it's not... It's not perfect, is it? it? It it probably throws up just as many challenges as as it solves along the way. It does, and I have to be honest. I've attended hybrid meetings thus far with people in a in a room, particularly last last summer when we were sort of opening up a bit. Um, the people in the room had a perfectly fine experience. The people on Zoom at the other end did not, because right. they were struggling to hear everybody. And of course, we forget how much easier it is when everybody's in their own space with their own dedicated equipment, a microphone. Yeah. You've got your microphone off camera. Yeah. I've got my microphone built into these. And that means we can hear each other clearly. But hybrid events and hybrid networking, I would love to see it. I am not yet convinced how widespread it would be. I mean, if you take, for example, any large networking organization that relies on local members to, to, to run the event in a, in a beef eater or you know, wherever it might be, you're not gonna have the internet connection. You are unlikely to have the technical skill to make it work. So it's only gonna be certain premium events whether that's premium in money or premium in skill, likely both, that I think hybrid is going to be truly successful. I guess if it's if it's a performance, um, like a, a a gig, a rock gig, you know, mm. you can you can see that there may be an audience for having that performance live streamed as well as live, and people mm. being able to to join in if they can't get to it live or choose not to get to it live but you're what you've just said about a, a, a networking event for example yeah of course I've got the camera set up so it's pointing at me I've got the microphone just mm. you can just about see it um, but also if we were in a networking event with 25 people in the room and and as many people watching from from zoom um, the the other thing which I know because when we're doing this sort of thing on a microphone I, I make sure that the room's quiet if we had a lot of background noise um like people moving their cups and saucers around that that would come out so you, yeah everyone's got to think really hard about how this is going to work before mm. we were all forced into it last year but everyone's got to really think about it now before everyone rushes into it i guess now you which that's a really neat segue actually because you 
run training courses to 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 start to explore with people all of this stuff and how they can actually make it work when's when's your next training course coming up and i'm going to put it on screen i know when it's coming up so i'm going to put it on screen so other people can see (laughs) but yeah just just talk about it whilst i do so so I've got two events coming up. God, who's that ugly bloke on the screen? Oh, dear me. Um, I've got one on the 31st of March, um, and I've got one on the 15th of April. Um, for people watching this video, um, there is a special code, retreat, that you can put in down the bottom. Steph, if you can just scroll down a bit more where it says enter promo code. If you enter the promo code retreat, you will then get a 50% off ticket to one of those two events. It will pop up on here in, in, in a moment. Um, I know yeah. you have to scroll about on, on here. Um, I know it's on there. I can't find it straight away, but people will, will find it when they go on there. And I'll put, I'll put all of the links in the, um, I'll put all of the links in the description of this afterwards. So people can find you there. I'll pop the URL um, bascule.com b-a-s-c-u-l-e and over on the right hand side it says online training and people will find all of the dates in there and they can also find a load of your stuff on on linkedin as well there you are on linkedin because you put uh, we were just talking about this before we 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 started recording but you mm. put a lot of content out there on linkedin helping people to understand disability awareness and, and disability training as well yeah, I mean, and, you know, for people who are watching, um, there are a couple of other things I'd mention. The first of which is that Bascule is a social enterprise. So 75% of the profit we make goes to do free workshops for school children in schools. Obviously, when we can get into schools, I'm hoping that's going to start again fairly soon. So we have a real social purpose to work with the young so that um, any misunderstandings that do exist, we can either stop them from happening or we can hit the nail on the head very early. And um, I think that's, you know, that's really important. We love what we do and add me on LinkedIn. And, you know, I am going to make a shameless request. If you know, if you know, large businesses, if you know, EDNI people, if you know, training and development people that you feel would be a great introduction for me so I can do more of this work, then please do, because unfortunately, 53% of people with disabilities still experience bullying and harassment in the workplace. Um, And I think one of the figures I saw recently that was really interesting was something like 27% of line managers worry about line managing people with disabilities. And again, all of that can be fixed through training. And is, is a lot of that simply because, I say simply, you know, but is a lot of that because people don't know what to say or feel that they don't know what to say is 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 that what people get stressed about i think it is i think it's um fear of using the wrong terminology um and i and i'm actually working on a on a new module um collaborating with with another organization which will be announced soon on um how to successfully line manage disability and we're going to look at some of the common problems that come up for example um you want to performance manage uh, some someone who some some member of your staff and then they turn around to you and say well actually I've got a disability and you've not put reasonable adjustment in place uh, so I think a, a lot of it comes down to fear that the organization is going to be sued or that if they have to let a member of staff go because they are legitimately 
a poor performer that they're going to be sued for disability discrimination because of that. And in reality, if you have put all the reasonable adjustment in place that has been considered appropriate with the help of um, either an external body or with your own internal teams and you've worked with a person with a disability, if the negative aspect of their disability has been removed through your reasonable adjustment, you can get rid of them just like anybody else. But of course, it's a minefield because there is a protected characteristic there, which unfortunately some people with disabilities will exploit. You know, one of my biggest difficulties is sometimes other disabled people with a real chip on their shoulder that make lives difficult. I understand the fear, and I say that as a, as a wheelchair user, of people not necessarily wanting to employ people with disabilities because they're afraid that if it goes pear-shaped, they're going to get sued. And actually, we can solve that through training. We could talk about reasonable adjustment. We could talk about a culture of openness. Okay? You have to be open and honest about your disability. And I was doing a talk to some uh, college-age students a few weeks ago and one of the questions I got asked is do I talk about my disability or not and my answer is you absolutely have to because you can't expect your employer to be psychic and put reasonable adjustment in place if they don't know and actually if they don't put reasonable adjustment in place if they refuse to then two things then you have the Equality Act to fall back on if you need it there is the stick but also do you want to work for a business like that in the first place? And the answer is probably not. I think that's that's a really important piece because I'm, I'm doing some side work with, with someone else on the Sunday Times, 100 Best Companies to Work For and so on. And mm. a lot of companies who get this right and get other things right as well end up mm. attracting the best employees, the best workers, and mm. some... Some of those, as, as, as you've already told us the percentages, some of those will have disabilities. So, um, vi you know, um, visible disabilities or, or hidden disabilities. But nevertheless, those employers who get it right, we know that they attract the very best staff. So there, there, are, there, there, there are huge benefits for the employer in getting this right, as well as avoiding the fear of, of being sued at the other end. But also, you know, we're seeing more and more research about the benefits of hiring people who are neurodiverse, for example. The idea of, you know, it's a cliche, out-of-the-box thinking. Yeah. The, the idea of different ways of, of looking at things. And companies like Microsoft have created areas, for example, for those on the autistic spectrum or those with other neurodiverse conditions where the lighting and other things are adjusted to suit their needs. Why are they doing this? It's partly because they like their staff and they want to help their staff. It's partly because they like the good PR because I've just mentioned them as a good example. And of course, it, it does help. But it's also because that allows them to get the best performing members of staff. You know, why do you want to go to work with a, pro a proverbial arm and a leg tied behind your back? Don't you want to bring your best self to work? Don't you want to have the best chance of getting that promotion or you know, really standing out? So you have to embrace your disability and it has to be the disabilities too that you can't see. So, you know, this Steph, um, as well as my physical disability, I also suffer from anxiety and depression. Now I can choose to keep that hidden if I so wish, but actually there's no point 
because I need an organization to embrace all of me. Now, I'm lucky that my issues are actually fairly well medicated, but there are times, um, which I know you appreciate, where things don't work quite so well. And for me, that's really, really important that people are aware. And if you're honest with them and your performance is good, then you get the best. I remember, as you know, I used to run a charity called Enable Me. And I remember I was hiring a member of staff. And at interview, she actually admitted, admitted isn't the wrong word, she told us, um, because admitted sounds negative. And, you know, we've really got to ban, ban terms like disclosure, again, oh, by the way, I'm disclosing I slept with another woman, you know, it's that inherently, it's that kind of negative um, thing. So she told us quite willingly that she was agoraphobic. And she'd never told an employer before. And why did she tell us at interview? Because I feel you are the kind of organization that would be supportive of my needs. And that is where I want every organization to get to. Plaster it all over your website and your paperwork and your social media. We want people from a variety of different backgrounds, whether it's a different ethnic backgrounds, different orientations, different disabilities. We want you because it's very easy when you're in a minority to think, well, they say they want everybody, but they don't want me. So you have to make it obvious. You know, it's like those old posters, you know, your country needs you. <laughs> and you've, re- you've really got to do that you bit. You know, say we welcome disabilities and we welcome different backgrounds and everything else. It's very easy to assume that people will feel welcome because they have an equality and diversity policy. Bloody say it. I like that. I love the fact that I know this about you, but for you, this is, I know it's, it's labeled as a business, but it's a mission. It's, it's an absolute um, passion for you to, to, to get this message out there to as, mm. as many businesses as possible. I mean, I, I've gone as far as calling it a calling. Right. It, to an extent, it does feel a bit like a religious calling. And I couldn't tell you why. I mean, when I was much younger, when I was a student, I thought, oh, disability. You know, I, I had no interest in engaging in this area at all. And I want to make it really clear that not everybody with disabilities has to choose to engage in this area. I'm in this area by choice as part of a journey of acceptance around my disability. As a kid, I hated it. I hated my body. I hated the things I couldn't do. The older I got, I got to grudging acceptance. And finally, I thought, actually, there are some things that I can do with this disability that I would not be able to do otherwise. I couldn't lead this mission so passionately I, I wouldn't have the moral authority to talk about it if it wasn't for my disability. So I suppose this is the natural consequence of fully embracing my disability, I guess. It's, it, it comes through the, not the backstory, and I'm glad you've just told us that, but the, the, the passion for it just completely mm. comes through in everything that you do. The, the, mm. the fact that this is, yes, you know, you, you, you run training courses and, you charge people for that and as you say it's a social enterprise but with all of that you're very obviously doing it from the heart you're very obviously doing it from a place of 
of really wanting to get this message out there for everyone's benefit, not just from mm. uh, not just from a bleeding heart point of view, but for the benefits of the businesses who who choose to listen to you as well. And and on that, that seems a a sensible place to to sort of wrap it up this afternoon because I've um, I always do enjoy chatting to you. And this afternoon, I think you've you've told us a lot of things which which a lot of businesses will will find useful. I will make sure in the description of this that goes out on video and mm-hmm. podcast that people can find out where to where to, to, to book the training courses. Um, any last words for us, Chris, for, for, for people who are out there and listening and either run businesses or, or have got a disability themselves? For people who've got a disability themselves, don't give up. The right business is out there for you. Hell, if you can't find it, start your own damn business. Be an entrepreneur with a, with a disability. You and I know several people with disabilities who've started up their own businesses and have done well. And if you're a business, don't be that guy or girl that does nothing. As much as I would love for you to sign up for my training, 50% off, 31st March, 15th April, I'm much keener that you get the training from somewhere. It's really important that you engage with this area and you train the entire staff. Okay, there's no point having an equality and diversity team if actually the receptionist doesn't know, doesn't care, and immediately puts people off when they walk through the front door. So the training has to be universal. Please take it on because it'll make a huge difference to you to your customers and to your employees. Because if one in five people have a disability, the chances of you not having someone with a disability on your team, whether you know about it or not, is pretty small. I love that. Chris, thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon. It's been really lovely to speak to you. Steph, always a pleasure. That was the Networking Retreat Audio Show. Thanks for listening. If you loved what we had to say and you'd like to hear more, then please subscribe. If you know of anyone else you feel would benefit from this podcast, then please share it with them. We'll see you next time.